As we told the others, sir, we can fix it. We just need to send a technician out to your house to change out your cable box. Oh, okay, great. We'll just need to find a window of time you can be home. How about between the hours of 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. all of November? No, I can't wait around my house from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. all of November. Oh, you can't? Jeez, that's too bad. You need to be home for the technician. Have you thought of switching to DirecTV? I can't afford DirecTV. Glop Culture is brought to you by Harry's Shave. Drugstore blades are too expensive. Switch to Harry's for a great shave at a great price. And buy Casper mattresses for a great mattress at a fraction of the price. Visit Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash glop and order today. Yes, this is Glop Culture. Uh, this is the... Uh, we're on the eve of uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. Uh, this is uh, John Podhortz. I have plenty in Manhattan. Uh, uh, with us, uh, hoping that Verizon – yes. Hello? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just told to wait. So. <laughs> no, no. No, 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 no one I was going to say that when I have an incoming phone call that comes in over normal LTE, it puts Skype immediately on hold whether I want it to or not. And uh, so I lost you guys there for a minute. I'm sure John's intro was fantastic. It was great. Are you kidding me? Should we start so. again? No, we're in it now. No. Let's go. Okay, Come on. Well, this is, uh, this I don't is even reality explain. stuff here. Okay, we're, yes, we're in real reality here. Uh, just to bore everybody senseless, we have uh, all sorts of technical issues because Jonah Goldberg uh, is sitting at his home in Washington awaiting the arrival of a cable guy to restore his – Internet, and so he is through the miracle of other technology speaking to us uh, on ac- an actual, I believe, telephone. Are you really? I'm on my iPhone using Skype for my iPhone. Wow. There we go. It's amazing. God, and, that's so uh, primitive. And, and what's the and color? What's the color of the sky in five, your world? I had to cut open <laughs> five goats just to make this work. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Rob Long is in Venice, California, uh, and he is also on a real phone. Oh, you know, John, uh, John, I have some bad news. I'm actually in New York City right this minute. Rob is in New York City, and he didn't tell me, so yeah. here I John, am. Talk here about I your am. Day of Atonement. Um, I uh, am but, I'm, but I will be thrust. in L.A. I will be in L.A. tomorrow. I'm going to okay. be in L.A. I'm leaving, tomorrow. Right. I'm leaving tomorrow. Okay. Uh, so... S- that's, but okay, can you explain something can, for the for the for the goyim here? The the, the is goyim plural? Yes, goyim is plural. What's, goy what's, is what, singular. Goy, goy is but, singular. Goyim is so is, for the goy here and the and the and the many goyim who are listening. It, it always seems like it's the day of atonement. It's, it's, it's always it's always seems like there's an atonement and a thing and a chach and a chazarai and all the shpilkes and the and the schmutz and the well, thank and you all very the. Much. Thank what? you for reducing the uh, world's uh, the world's the world's uh, oldest revealed oldest, religion, oldest <laughs> or the second oldest monotheistic faith, yeah. uh, to the Shpilkas and the Chazarai. Think and the thing and the thing and the thing and the, so so yes. we had the Lashon Tovah. That's the New Year. That's Happy New yes, Year. The New Year was the New Year was uh, nine ten days ago, and now we have the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, the holiest day 
on the Jewish so wait, calendar. So you're you're atoning for the shit you did. Or the stuff, excuse me, the stuff you did the year before, right? Not just between then and the new year, right? Yeah, it's, well, it's, the a, day of it's for eleven days between then and new year. Yeah, you are making you are making a personal and spiritual accounting uh-huh. of the uh, of the errors and sins that you committed in the past year. You are not, right. and you are asking God to. Not exactly to forgive you, but to hear what you say <laughs> and to inscribe you for another year in the book of life and not uh, not yeah. basically uh, end things for you because you were so uh, inappropriate in the in the previous year. Can I say and I, I say this I, it's hard to say these things, but I, I, but I, I say this with the with the love and the respect. And the and the and the ticker, as they say in show business, um, this yeah. seems like the most Jewish of Jewish holidays. Oh, because the, it I has yes, yeah. so, well, it, it has the atonement, and and there is, and it, it's not Christian because in Christianity you go and 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 the and the, the trick with Christianity the the struggle is not just. You know, they, they, the the candy, the, the the frosting on Christianity is that God forgives you, right? But the but the other side of it is, well, you've got to forgive others, right? Um, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's the hard part, right? Because it's really easy to go in and get forgiveness, right? But it's actually hard to forgive people. That's the hard part. Um, but the forgiveness part is fantastic. Uh, and you guys are more like, well, he's listening. He hears you. And um, he's taking it into consideration. Pretty much, that's right. It is. I would say you are right uh, that in in terms of the um, in terms of the grandeur um, mm-hmm. and even the severity of Judaism that that uh, Yom Kippur is unique uh, because it it is a it is a moment of radical personal accountability. That's the only way to to, to put it. It is not. It is about it is about your standing as a human right. being, a member of a community, and someone in relation to God and to the eternal. And right. there are no easy answers. There's no easy buy-off. There's no you, yeah. you know you 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 fast in order to um, concentrate yourself on that which. You know, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so it's it's tough, you know. Judaism is uh, Judaism not, is a, is is not the easiest of religions. Yeah, that's why. Not, on the one hand, on the one hand, it has remained a you know radical minority, and on the other hand, it has survived when all these other tribal faiths of, that were around it at the time, you know, right. no longer exist. You know, it's a it's an astonishing fact that this you know one the Hittites are gone. So know, so what the is Samaritans the greeting? Are gone. Yeah. So what is They're the greeting? All gone and- what is the greeting? It's like it's not done, not Lashana Tova, but it's like Happy Atonement. No, you say you say enjoy you say, your thing. I, no, I hope you say may you be inscribed for a for a sweet year for a good year. That's uh-huh. what you say yeah. because there is there is in the there is in the tradition the idea what do you that, get that God has a book of life and that He writes the book of life in the ten right. day period between. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. He literally inscribes in the book who shall live, who shall die, who right. shall prosper, who shall fail. And this is the point at which you you can make a personal, you know, you can make a personal plea 
for your own right. standing and for and for okay. and for getting a getting a, a, a decent deal. I got it. I got it. You know, okay, so no, that, no, that, that no is offense. the end of my no, – yeah, no I am not a yes. – No offense. I'm going to stick with what I got, but I, I'm, I'm glad to know that's there. I'm, I'm going to stick well, with what here, I got. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're, here to, we're here to suffer for the rest of you. So, uh, yeah. so, please, uh, so please enjoy. Uh, that's speaking all. of suffering, speaking of suffering, Jonah, are, are, are you getting any help right now from Verizon? Uh, no. No, in fact, it's, uh, we have now, it is 12.02, they were supposed to be here between 9 and 12, uh-huh. the most recent communication, so I'm just going to read you the direct message transcript from me, and I, I could go, it goes on for days and days, I'm not going to do that, but um, here's a, um, I asked them if there's any way I could confirm that this guy's actually coming at about 11.15, <laughs> And they said, we're reaching out to our dispatch officer's manager now. Great. And then I didn't hear anything again for going on 40 minutes. And I kept saying things to them. Thanks. This is the second day I've had to stay home from work. I've canceled so many meetings and appointments. I really would prefer not to cancel even more for this BS. And then another message. Any word? There's one half hour yet. Uh, yet another. There's, there's one half hour left before yet another broken promise by you guys. Still nothing. To be honest, it would help if you could just give me clarity one way or the other. If he's not coming, that would be great to know. Then I added, by the way, I hate being a dick. I'm a very nice and agreeable person, but my my chain has been yanked by you guys for more than a week now. Mm -hmm. And then, hello? And then finally, after 40 minutes of no answers, I said, are you really ignoring me? Is that what's happening here? Did you hear from the dispatcher? And about 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, I heard, no, we're not ignoring you. We have initially been given an answer from a dispatcher that we find unacceptable. So we're further escalating this. We worked hard to, <laughs> we worked hard to get the commitment we did previously, and we're not going to accept it not being met. At this point, it is safe to say the tech will not make it there by noon. But we're doing everything in our power to get this dispatched immediately. It is amazing. I mean, this language, it's so funny, right? Because I've been getting right. this for a week now. The language is all about the positive steps they're, they're taking going forward and how right. they're not accepting We're just mad. We're just as mad about this as you are. We're just as mad about yeah. this as you are. So they, they screw me and they say, but we're not going to accept that we're screwing you. We're going to do everything we can to stop screwing you as they're screwing me. And it's been going on for like a week now, and like I am literally shell shocked from. I well, feel don't like I'm you think? Don't you think that the genius of sort of contemporary the contemporary service culture is the fact that when you finally talk to someone, it is always somebody who has no authority over the people that you are complaining about, and so. You sort of understand this and you end up in this apologetic relationship to them because if you yell at them, it's not their fault. They didn't do anything wrong. They're trying to help you in theory, but they have no real accountability. Only business overall has accountability. And and their task is to be your advocate, right? So they go to these courses and watch these videos about how to be sympathetic to your concerns. Yeah, you're darn right. Like – 
it is it is very much like that Obama thing. Like I'm mad, I'm as mad about this as you are. I just found out about this without any kind of actual responsibility. You know? No, I know. And that's, <laughs> so and it I, is. I can't tell you how many people I've had to say to them, "Look, I'm not mad at you personally. I know this isn't your fault, but you guys are killing me." <laughs> and and it, just, it just drives me crazy. It makes me feel like. By the way, that's part of the thing I get mad at is they make me feel like more of a jerk. Even as they're being jerks to me, I mean, it is like well, cult well, stuff. Well, this is the one—the one time uh, over the last couple of years that I have had successful interactions with customer service had been when I complain over Twitter in public. Now, you may have had that experience because you're having this direct message relationship with them over Twitter, but the problem there is that that is all not public. So, you know, the only thing you can do and the only threat that you have is the idea that you will blacken Verizon's name. Oh, I've been playing by that its card. Behavior. Right. I, but, I've been playing that card, you know, but I have end, a problem. Yeah, go on. No, in the end, you've got Verizon is simply uh, too, big, too big to suffer simply because even though you have, what do you have, 150,000 Twitter followers? Even though you have 100, 150,000 Twitter followers, you know, they're still, you know, a, a fifty All billion right, company. What yeah, but, okay, but now, John. but now we're we're coming at them. We're you know at the re, at, at, basically at the exhaust port on the Death Star through the Glop podcast. Yes, right? exactly. Right. Right. Now, and now that yes, yeah, so the, and now it's not just you, you <laughs> Jonah. It's not just you with your Twitter followers and your blue check. It's John Pedoritz, who now I think I, 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 I what I what I, I I can't I can't quite see how long we've been going at this and have by the way a substance free podcast thus far, but yes. at least fifteen minutes. Um, you have not yet mentioned, and I feel that I need to mention John Pedoritz. You are now Twitter verified. I am. I have a I have a blue check, and and I'm just I'm in despair. I'm in despair because. This has been yeah. very, very good bit for me for three, four years, and Twitter has just taken it away. That's not why you're, you're despair. That's you know what you're like despair. despair. That's I'm not why you're despair. Because you're like Christopher Hitchens being appointed a bishop. Exactly. Just, yeah. That is exactly <laughs> right. That is a very, very good. That, that is, is not. That is not why. Analogy. That is not why you're in despair. You're in despair because you thought – bishop by Bill Clinton. That would even – Yeah, no. <laughs> You're in despair because you thought that the blue check would make you happy. And then you got a blue check and you're still – your heart is still filled with emptiness because you still covet. And what you haven't learned is that it's the coveting that makes you unhappy, not the lack of the thing that, you're, that you and, think you want. And you say you want to stick – it's your faith. You just you just expressed perfectly the sort of central tenet of Judaism right there. I thought it was so Buddhism. My, my, that's my, that's my, that sounded awfully Buddhist to me. Yeah. Well, maybe no, because maybe I've, okay, I've, invented a new, I've invented a new religion. Buddhism. <laughs> Judaism. Uh, no, that doesn't work, does it? That doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, who, whose, whose religion? Whose religion had "Thou shalt not covet" in their, you know, in their decalogue? Well, I don't think it's, do. it's not Buddhism. Anyway, uh, well, but Buddhism, is, from us Buddhism is you sit very quietly and meditate and try to detach yourself from your mother. You know, <laughs> ten years from now, <laughs> ten, twenty-five years, 
10 years from now, they're going to be saying, you know, that Glop podcast used to be just another snake cult. But now look at it. <laughs> now, <exactly. laughs> uh, can, can I just break in here just, just to take a pause on the merriment for one minute just to remind everyone listening that in addition to being a Ricochet.com podcast, the Glop podcast is also sponsored by our friends at The Great Courses. Um, you know um, – the Great Courses has a great course called The Skeptic's Guide to American History. The desire to learn doesn't stop after college. That's the motivation behind The Great Courses. The Great Courses offers engaging video and audio lectures from top professors and experts in their fields. Uh, and I, I recently watched their lectures. I watched the lecture series, The Skeptic's Guide to American History. I've been listening to them. Um, I you know drove across the country or listened to a lot of them across the country. But I watched this one, The Skeptic's Guide to American History, and it's presented by award-winning professor Mark Stoller. And this series filters through the myths and misconceptions about America's past to offer new perspectives on pivotal events. Um, really kind of interesting stuff. Um, you know, kind of a revision, re reworking of the 20s, which sets the stage for the cultural shifts of the contemporary America, does a lot of stuff about World War II, which is sort of interesting, not only the beginnings, but all the myths surrounding it and um, how these misconceptions have shaped American policy after the war. Uh, it's really kind of worth getting into. Really interesting stuff. The Great Courses are celebrating their 25th anniversary. They have over 500 courses on topics like history, science, photography, and more. You can watch or listen. With online downloads and streaming via the Great Courses apps or DVDs or CDs, the Great Courses created a special limited-time offer for all Glop listeners. Order from eight of their best-selling series, including The Skeptic's Guide to American History, at up to 80% off of the original price. But hurry, this 80% savings is only available for a limited time. So don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash glop. That's thegreatcourses.com. The Great Courses is all one word, slash glop right now and uh get your 80 percent off we thank them for sponsoring us it's a great um it's a great place it, it, the course is terrific i know i know you guys have listened to a bunch of them too um anyway uh we're back okay so this really is a kind of remarkable we have we have blathered on for 15 yeah. minutes without mentioning many of the important things that are going on in the world like the fact that i would say the most important detail the most important detail is the fact that the Emmy Awards received a very low rating. Wouldn't you yes. say, Rob, that? Yeah. And you know yeah. what's – you know the irony? It was maybe the best award show I've ever seen. The award, the Emmy really? Awards on Sunday night were absolutely terrific. They were yeah. – except for, you know, there was classic – Oh, there always is. Nonsense. But Andy Samberg, the host, was great. He was it good. Was He's an appealing guy. It, you know? it was over in three. You know, it it, it hit the deadline. Yeah. To, you know, to the minute. Yeah. Uh, there were no songs. Uh, you know, the the awards were sort of interesting and varied. It was a really good show. It got the right. lowest rating in history, and you know, there we have it. So, but, well, why do you? Uh, well, you you wonder why it had the lowest rating in history? Well, supposedly because it was up against a football game. No. No, no, because okay. nobody's seen the shows. The shows are not watched by people. So people don't, you know, like Les Moonves, who's now the chairman and president of CBS, who uh, I, uh, I know he's, he's not a friend of mine, but I like he put five of my series on the air. I, you know, I, I bump into him every now and then. I always say hello. He's a tough guy, but he's also a very realistic guy. He's probably the smartest media executive alive today. Um, without a doubt, I would. I would go to the wall on that. Um, he said something last week that was exactly right. He said, hey, House of Cards, brilliant show. Great show. Love it. Um, nobody's watching it. More people are watching The Good Wife. 
Right. And what the Emmy Awards was was it, a, was it an award show with for people who are for, for, for kind of small shows that may be great that people that certain people love and that people in the New York Times etc. and in certain groups watch, but the vast majority of the TV audience, the broadcast television audience, isn't watching. So they, you know, you say, "Hey, we're going to give an award to Transparent." Now, I actually, I happen to enjoy that show, Transparent, um, but ain't nobody watching it, so well, they don't care if it wins or not. Well, can I just add one other possible explanation, which I, I think yours and John's are two main ones, but um, there's a third factor is, and I don't know that this explains more than a few percentage points of it, but I had no idea it was going to be on until I stumbled on it by accident last night. And it used to be, it seems to me that yeah. I don't know what was going on in the, you know, I, I know what was going on in the news, but there's been a lot of news lately. And so there hasn't been a lot of, oh, here come the enemy's talk that right. I saw at least. Um, you know, and that, that affects things too. Uh, guess, speaking of which, guess Just how many a- Emmys, guess how many Emmys CBS won on, on Sunday night? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. How many? One. Yeah. Guess how many Emmys NBC won on Sunday night? Zero, right? One. Guess right. how many Emmys ABC won? Zero. Right. So, I mean, you know, the fact is that even though even though uh, broadcast television is you know a shadow of its former self, it's still less of a shadow than other uh, than other uh, than than other networks are. Although Game of Thrones won and Game of Thrones is watched by 10, 11 million people a week. So, yeah. But the but but the big winners were shows that are, you know, uh, yeah, Veep is not watched by a lot of people. Right. Um these are shows that are right. Transparent's not watched by a lot of people. Um Mad Men was not watched by a lot of people. Um that that's not to denigrate the performances of those right. shows or or you know, I think Veep is a great success story. Veep the pilot of Veep was one of the worst things I've ever seen in my in my life. I could not be, I could not believe my eyes when I watched the pilot of Veep. Um the show itself though has over time gotten really good. It is really it's a, good. It's a great, you know it's a great example of a show got, that got great. But but the idea that um, it's uh, and, and and it deserves awards. I, I don't denigrate the, their their accomplishment, but it's hard then to put that an awards show where you're giving kind of niche awards on a broadcast network and expect people to tune in care. And it's also hard to platform that uh, that that award show uh, on a broadcast channel when people aren't really watching it. You also have like, you know, the problem if Jonah isn't aware of it, it's because Jonah's watching news or he's part of the fragmented audience and they're just not, it's just not in front of them. I mean, right. in order to launch a show now, you have to get in front of people and you get in front of people where they are and they're everywhere now. And that's a hard thing to do. It's just hard. Right. And you know, you know what else is, you know what else is a hard thing to do? A hard thing to do is to figure out how to end this thrilling conversation and talk just for a minute about Harry's shave. But yeah. I think I have made the transition. I think you did it. I just think you just, you just did it. To you glop listeners about Harry's shave. You heard about it before. I love Harry's shave. High quality German engineered blades crafted for sharpness and precision, half the price of big name name drugstore brands, free shipping straight to the door. Started by two guys passionate about creating a better shaving experience. I use it. I love it. I keep saying this. It's true. And how does it work? They bought a blade factory in Germany. They cut out the middleman so they can offer an amazing shave at a fraction of the price of drugstore brands. They ship the blades right to your door at factory direct prices. 
Harry's was sparked by a personal experience of Andy, one of its founders. He thought it was important to get out of this nightmare of the, you know, blade with the with the stick, with the thing, and have an actual, you know, <laughs> system where you could get reasonable prices and quality blades. Starter kit is just 15 bucks. It includes a razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or foaming shave gel. I like the shave cream. As an added bonus, you can get $5 off your first purchase with the coupon code GLOP. After using the code, you can get an entire month's worth of shaving for just $10 shipping free. Satisfaction guaranteed. Go to harrys.com now, and Harry's will give you that $5 off. Type in the code GLOP. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and enter coupon code G-L-O-P for that $5 off start shaving smarter today. And Rob and Jonah, Scott Walker quit the race last night. Yeah. And here's the thing. People keep talking about how Scott Walker, this is going to transform the race. I don't understand how if a guy drops to less than 1% and is not a factor and he runs out of money, how his departure changes anything. Can anyone help me with this? How will his departure change the dynamic of the race? He was out of the race. That's why he quit. Well, I see, I mean, I, I, yeah. Go ahead. There are a couple there are, there are a couple things. One, I think it does fuel the storyline that the um, that the non-outsider, the non you know, the the quote unquote establishment, I hate buying into some of these terms, but the non-outsider candidates uh, or faction of the party needs to consolidate in order. I mean, mean, Walker, in effect, said that. And that storyline is feeding into. And so did Rick Perry. So that storyline is feeding into how this race is talked about and discussed. It feeds into the pressure on Jeb to either perform or get out of the way, too. I mean, that's one thing. Another thing is, is that. Um, I think it does set up a dynamic among the donor class about, again, getting behind one guy they think they, that can win probably puts more pressure on Jeb, again, for the same reasons. Um, and third, you know, a lot of, Walker did hire up a lot of good people um, who may not have been able to um, deliver support in the polls, but were probably pretty useful in the Iowa caucuses, um, which actually requires putting asses in chairs for long periods of time. So there's a three possible reasons why it's a, a significant. Okay. Fourth, mm-hmm. we need something to talk about. Right. Yeah, I buy that. <laughs> I, I, can, I, can I just chime in here? I'm, I'm not Please. sure it changes the dynamic, um, but I think it, it's it, it, the, the, the autopsies on, the, on it are interesting because I don't think – I think when Rick Perry dropped out, people felt, oh, Man, you know, Rick Perry was making a lot of sense, and people have a lot of affection for Rick Perry. Um, I, I think when Scott Walker dropped out yesterday, a lot of people thought to themselves, "Why again?" Um, yeah, he was like what one percent or something, but we're, you know, it's, what is it, like September or something in 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 2015. Um, I, I think what he needed to do was to reboot his candidacy, probably, and reboot his campaign in a way. I mean, Scott. The Scott problem with Scott Walker and Scott Walker's campaign was that he wasn't running as Scott Walker. He kind of he did, wasn't running the same kind of campaign he ran when he ran against the recall and he ran for re-election in, in, in Wisconsin, which is what he should have done. It wasn't the same team. He got kind of fancy. Um, he wasn't really – I mean he had maybe running an outsider kind of quote-unquote campaign, but he wasn't running – his team wasn't an outsider team, and he really should have done that. That's, that's who he is. Um, 
that that's the problem. Like you, you had a guy suddenly deciding he wanted to win Iowa, suddenly talking about things that he should have just been saying the same thing over and over again. I'm the guy who busted the public sector unions. I did that. No one else in the stage did that. And you got that kind of that message kind of got lost. And he should have been saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. So no one knew when you watched these debates why he was there. Right. Um, and I think a lot of that was just. I mean, I hate to sound like I was kind of like Jonah. I hate to sound like a lot of that was. Um. Uh, 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 not, I mean, a, a hinterlands governor trying to make it on the big stage when and misreading the mood of 2015 and 2016, I think, which the mood of 2016 is, you know, be the hinterland governor to tell right. me in a very specific two sentences why you're there. And I will extrapolate from the fact that you smashed the public sector unions in, 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 in uh, Wisconsin, what that means for the country. You don't have to talk about any of the other issues you don't want to. Just tell me what you know. whose head you chopped off. And I feel like that he just missed that opportunity. And I'm not sure he needed to. He needed to drop out. I think he just needed to change the change the campaign. But right. um, you know, I mean, but I think that's the lesson. I mean, that's that's what the dynamic will change. Is that well, people, see, I think I are think, going to get a lot of freer. I mean, I think there are two. I think there are two interesting things that neither of you have touched. On. One of, one of which is. That it used to be that a governor from Wisconsin or a governor from Texas or a governor from somewhere could run as an outsider. That is to say, he's not in Washington. Yeah. As Bush said, he you know he has no stake in the battles of Washington, as George W. Bush said in 1999, 2000, and he can come in from from outside and clean up the Augean stables. That. That was what governors always said, and that was a message that resonated. Right. Now it seems that if you are an elected official of any sort, you are no longer allowed to consider yourself an outsider. Marco Rubio, for example, right, knocked off the Republican, you know, running, you know, with, starting with you know two percent of the vote in in in, yeah. in polls in Florida, knocks off the. Sitting Republican governor who was running for the Senate comes out of nowhere as a Tea Partier, as a as an insurgent, and now people refer to him as though he is Bob Dole. You know, he's the establishment. Right, you know, right. He's that that is ridiculous. It's not true. There, first of all, it's not clear what the Republican establishment is. Um, it's a weird term now because it just seems to suggest any anybody you don't like, you simply call a yeah, member right. of the establishment. Right. But um, the only people now, you know, the three candidates who seem to have some purchase are three people who have never served in public office ever. Now, I put it to you that you can be, you know, the most libertarian – you know, uh, anti-government person on earth and still think and still have a, make a rational understanding that the presidency is not an entry-level position. Presidency of the United States, we, we have a guy who is fundamentally like an entry-level guy sitting in the White House right now. Is that what we want? Somebody who has no idea how to do, you know, how to do the job? Somebody who has yeah. no experience in, you know, in sort of political accommodation and find and making alliance, you know, bridging out and mm-hmm. making alliances with, you know, people who don't have, share their ideology, that sort of thing. This has been a disastrous period in that respect, and and here we are, and the Republican Party is now following in this model even more radically. It's yeah, so I've been meaning to write about this for a while. You know, this is one of my 
go-to topics for a long time about politicians who don't do their homework, and it really pisses me off. And I think it's, I think it's essentially unpatriotic. If you actually think that the, that you're that this is an important job, which it obviously is, and you think the country needs you, um, which it may or may not, um, to say that you know to not do your homework as Rick Perry didn't in 2012, as Herman right. Cain didn't, as a lot of people didn't, and it, it pisses me off. Um, uh, that's really outrageous. But what what's what's far worse is what Donald Trump is doing, because Donald Trump is admitting it. In the debate, he said point blank in plain language that should he get the job, he will learn all of this stuff. Now, that, you know, that is like if you give me the part, <laughs> you know, I will yeah. learn to act. I mean, it is, it is if, if you make me chief surgeon, I'll figure out how to take out a kidney. It right. is an outrageous statement that just gets overlooked by people. And he said, He said it many, many times. He says it's not – the idea that somehow it's not worth his time, what he says, it's not worth my time to do the homework unless I get the job is outrageous (laughs) and that is what he's saying. But but the thing about it is that it's perfectly consistent with his theory of the presidency as a form of elevated show business, which is – a form of sort of elevated communication, which is, well, you know, I mean, I'm doing this on spec, basically. I mean, uh, t- tomorrow, I'm, I, fly to, I fly to L.A. tomorrow from New York, okay? <laughs> I'm going to be pitching a show, and I'm pitching the show, and I'm going to I mean, – it's half an hour. It's hard to pitch a show. It's a one-hour show, too, so it's like twice as hard as pitching a half-hour show. And I, I got to pitch it, and I sell it, and I'm acting the characters out, and I'm really going to you know, get there with my team. I'm there with the studio and, and my producing partner who's sort of a fancy movie star, and we're like, I'm going to sell it, you know, and I really act it out. It's hard. It's exhausting to do it afterwards. But basically what I'm saying is if you, give, if you promise to give me a certain, a certain amount of money, I'll write the thing I just told you I was going to do. But writing it is hard, but I'm not going to write it first. You got to pay me first, and that's kind of how the show business <laughs> works. And that's essentially what what Donald Trump is doing. He's running for the presidency on spec. He's like, well, if you vote for me, <laughs> exactly, I'll, I'll yeah. read. I'll, I'll I'll read up on this stuff. But like, I'm you know, I got all this stuff to do, and you know, I got a pageant thing I got to run and stuff. So I I promise to know who the new guy in Burkina Faso is because. But I'm not going to know that before now. And I think there are a lot of people who are thinking to themselves, well, I mean, I get it. Uh, those names are complicated, and, and uh, he's going to hire the best generals. He's going to hire the best generals. Um, uh, and, uh, and there's no – I mean it isn't interesting. What, what's interesting about that is that no one else seems to be disturbed by that attitude. I'm not sure that no one else. I'm not sure that no one else is. He's at 24 yeah, percent in the polls. He's not at 52 percent in the polls. I mean, the, the simple fact of the matter is that he's the most famous person in the Republican field, and he's getting 25 percent of the of you know of the of according to polls around around a quarter of the Republican vote right now. If he were the sort of person that most Republicans wanted. Sixty percent of them could say they wanted him. You know that that's yeah, right. that's, that's so true. I think I think more there's more hostility to him that one than one okay. realizes. Let me, ha- let me having yeah go ahead. I say let me posit another po- possibility that he is um, 
he's uh, there. There are a lot of Republican primary voters tend to do stuff to teach other candidates a lesson. Right. Is he a, a therapeutic vote uh, or a, 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 a punishing vote? Right now, not even a vote. There's no vote. That I mean, uh, the certain you know, there are a whole bunch of candidates and a whole bunch of candidate um, apparatus uh, apparatuses. Um, right now, that they believe that the Donald Trump, the, the, the support that he gets right now from Republican primary voters only, right? They're the only ones that count uh, right now. They're the ones saying, "Oh, we're I don't know if we're going to vote for this guy, but I want to give I want him to have as uh, free run as possible because I want you all to be more like him." Maybe um, I mean I, I think I think I think that maybe sort of overly. Deterministic or overly sort of, you know, the, the, that's an overly. Uh, people aren't that sophisticated when a pollster calls that they're, you know, thinking about gaming their answer to a pollster. But I, I think basically that you have this core of people among the Republican electorate. We've always thought, you know, what we thought was that the core of the Republican electorate was, you know, ideologically very conservative. So you needed to be pro-life and you needed to be pro-gun and you needed to speak to traditional values and you needed basically, as, as, as Rand Paul's failure to sort of bloom as a candidate proves, you needed to be a kind of nationalist believer in a strong military and a national defense, right? That was sort of the general assumption that that's what you needed to do in early right. states. Now it appears that it's possible that the Republican base at the moment, though we don't really know because no one's voted, may have coalesced more in this kind of we hate everything about politics. Everything about politics is disgusting and what interests us is people who are not politicians. We want people who are not politicians. We hate all politicians, right? So if that's the case, then – then you have to, you know, the question is, what can people who are politicians do with a message like that? In 2000, George W. Bush faced with the surprising surge of John McCain in a couple of places, figured, and he and Karl Rove figured rightly that if he said, I'm a reformer too, remember, because that was McCain's a reformer, I'm a, a reformer, reformer, I'm a reformer, a reformer with, with results, results yeah, right? Yeah. I'm not quite sure how somebody who is an elected official can say, you know what? I'm an, I was an, elect, I'm an elected official or I was an elected official and I also hate politics the way you do. <laughs> well, remember there was – um, did something interesting in the debates. See, he said – I ran against you know the – I yeah. know this. No, he said, I now know this to my marrow. I've now been in the Senate and I don't like it there. I'm not going back to the Senate. I'm done. Either I'm president or I'm leaving politics because the Senate is dysfunctional and bad, and I you can't get anything done. Well, now, that's what that's, Jerry that's, Brown did. That Jerry Brown had that running against uh, uh, Clinton in uh, 1992 uh, when Clinton accused him of being, you know, because when he, when he, Jerry Brown had run the uh, Democratic uh, Party sort of fundraising machine in California, and. Uh, uh, Clinton accused him of sort of being a, a, a politics as usual, and Jerry Brown said, "No, I turned away from that. I was so disgusted by what I had to do that I turned away from that." And I do remember the uh, uh, was it uh, Terry Brands? Terry Brands said the governor of Iowa for a long time. Yes. Yeah, Terry Brands said, with like, I think three term governor of Iowa, his 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 second, I think I think three terms. His well, what his 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 reelection slogan was? Terry Brands said, "Reelect change." 
Um, so there you right. go. You can, you can, but I guess people you can aren't even looking change is, you know, in general elections, you know, are about, you know, change yeah. or the same or whatever. There's something more, you know, elemental about this. It's not that people are looking for change. They are looking for some kind of a kind of, you know, uh, tsunami force, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that's what, you know, Carson or Trump or Fiorina theoretically promises is, you know, None of you who does this for a living, you know, you should all be fired. All of you should be fired. And, you know, we're going to come in because we're better because we've done other things. Now, it's an, you know, by the way, if you're running for mayor, that seems fine to me. If you're running even for, you know, governor, that's sort of okay. And, um, uh, the problem I think is, is that, you know, the presidency is, the most powerful position on earth. And as Jonah says, you know, it's one thing, one of the reasons that Trump has a lot to fear from Carly Fiorina now, it seems to me, is that uh, she has done her homework, right? She right. actually yeah. knows, she, she, she spent four years doing her homework and can talk very comfortably on almost any policy issue. Yeah, I mean, she got, she got absolutely keel-hauled uh, in her Senate campaign in California. And there are in 2010, you know, two, right. in 2010, and there are two ways to react to getting uh, that kind of um, you know uh, uh, that kind of disaster, right? One is you freak out and you decide never again, right? Uh, I'm going back to the boardroom. Uh, the second is you um, you get really good at what you're going to do, and I think she's even if you don't like her, even if you don't. Um, you're not going to vote for her. She's really good. She's really good at this. She was on Jimmy Fallon last night. She was really good on Jimmy Fallon. She's very, very, very good. Yeah, um, can can, can yeah. I just get back to the other thing for just two seconds here? Verizon um, or something else? No, no, no. Although I heard from Verizon. Uh, they say uh, that, An update. Uh, an update from Verizon. They now say that they will be here for their between 9 and 12 appointment between 5 and 6. Oh. Um. But um, okay. Well, now you know you can plan. Yeah. yeah well, oh, I'm sorry. They'll try to be here between five and six. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, look. If I were czar, so many of these people would have to cut off their fingers, yakuza style, to apologize <laughs> to me. But anyway, um, uh, I think you know. Look, I, I, I obviously I agree with almost everything that John says here about you know this sort of anti-political climate and all the rest. But it is worth pointing out. You know, forget, and we don't need to go into a big, you know, the problems with conservative talk radio shtick and all that. We've done that a lot of times, but it is worth pointing out that that one of the reasons why they hate politics is that they have a very good reason to believe that politicians have lied to them almost as egregiously as Verizon tech support has lied to me, because <laughs> time and time and time again. We've had, and one of the things that drives me crazy is that the, it's constantly talked about how the establishment said we can get rid of Obamacare if we just win this election or if we just do this. Well, no, I mean, like Ted Cruz said that kind of stuff too. You know, lots of people, lots of the sort of base, uh, you know, hardcore conservative base types made the same kinds of promises. But regardless, we have, we've had, you know, George W. Bush who made all sorts of assurances does not feel like we there was for a lot of people there feels like there was a bait and switch there um there was the whole fiasco of of how like people like you know dick morris 
not only lied to people about the polls, but admitted that he lied to people about the polls in the 2012 election. We had that election. We were told we're always one election away from getting rid of Obamacare. It never happened. And so the idea, I think, which I, I, I find I am very sympathetic to, that, you know, if all politicians are going to do is say is say X and deliver Y or not deliver anything mm-hmm. at all, why the hell should we go with politicians? The problem with that is that it's, it, it, the, the case against the establishment is not the case for Donald Trump. And, you know, it may and it's not really the case for Ben Carson either. Um, and we'll see if it's the case for Carly Fiorina. But um, this there's this uh, there's this sort of whole missing second part of the plan thing. Like the establishment sucks. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Donald Trump, you know, and like Donald Trump is has, has evidenced not a single bit of skill, character, composure or knowledge required to be president of the United States. But I actually, I would have, I would find a, a, a Ross Perot type, you know, someone from a, a Cincinnatus laying down his plow type, a David yeah. Petraeus type, very appealing. The problem is, is that for whatever reason, God or Providence or the system is not producing one. And instead it's producing the strangest creature known <laughs> to man. I mean, this is like, this is like the basilope of politics, right? I mean, we have got a, Huey Long type from the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and 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 he's just you know he's a reality show star, and people for some reason have bought into it. But I don't think that their anger is wrong. I just think the vessel by which they want to use it is wrong. Okay, I want to talk about how their anger may be a little bit wrong. Okay, because this this goes to the point you made about patriotism and how there's something unpatriotic about not doing the work to understand yeah. how you know. To, okay, well. You know, I, I don't want to, like, get pompous or anything, but, you know, this is a self-governing society. And it and we have all these Republican voters and conservatives who say, our leaders lied to us because they said if they voted this way in the election, then Obamacare would be gone, right? Well, every single person in this country who votes ought to know that the president of the United States has a veto and that the Senate yeah, functions right. under rules of cloture. And that if you don't win 61 seats, you can't get your will in the Senate. And if the president wants to veto something, you have to get 67 votes in order to override him, right? It is not the fault of Mitch McConnell and John Boehner and and everybody like that 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 the public – claims to be or the or the conservative public claims to be so gullible that they believe that somehow there were magic fairy dust would make it possible for Obamacare to be overturned in the absence of a landslide in the in a midterm so vast that the world had never seen anything like it as it happens what, uh, there were two uh, massive landslides in 2010 and 2014 and what they did was halt Obama pretty much in his tracks but they couldn't turn it back on, but you can't yeah so well but so don't you think it's the, it, i mean yeah, yeah but, it's but not, i mean just to go back so to, their or, anger wait, at the wait. republicans is insane well, well no no no, no I, I disagree with that because not, not maybe not, not insane ju- but it's misdirected it's not, first of all it's not just the Obamacare, right it's like we never we always get these judges we're told they're gonna be great conservatives and so many of them backslide liberal right we're, you know, it, I agree with you. Look, I mean, look, I'm someone who's been writing columns for 10 years about how voting should be harder in this country and that right. people should be forced to take their citizenship more seriously. And that's true of conservatives as well as of liberals. But and I agree with you. It's not entirely Mitch McConnell's fault that people don't understand how the Senate works. But when Mitch McConnell goes and campaigns 
playing upon that ignorance and saying, oh, we'll just pass a series of continuing resolutions and we'll do this and that and we'll get rid of Obamacare. If he, he certainly knows that wasn't true. And if you get into these conversations with like Ted Cruz supporters who, you know, won't explain to you why they hate Mitch McConnell and I'm not there. I don't hate Mitch McConnell, but it's not like their, their case against Mitch McConnell is entirely meritless either. And maybe Mitch McConnell said what he had to say to get reelected. I get that. And that's fine. But, you know, or maybe it's not fine. I don't know. But the, the idea that somehow, you know, from the government spending under George W. Bush to the bitter taste of the Iraq war to, um, uh, you know, the promises that we have had going into all of these elections and also watching people get watch the Republicans having their lunch eaten like Andrew Breitbart at a podium um, uh, by Barack Obama for six years. They're saying, well, what, you know, what what use yeah. are these guys right. if, if if we're going to get we're going to get the clowned every day of the week? And I get that feeling. I just don't I can't make the leap to say and therefore we should take the short fingered vulgarian Donald Trump and ride the A-bomb straight to apocalypse. OK, I don't want to I don't want to like, you know, obviously what you say has has serious merit. All all I'm saying is that it is the job of an informed citizenry to understand what is and what is not practical in politics. Yeah, but I agree. Okay. That's all. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, right. and, and for example, you know, there was this kind of thing where, uh, you know, it, you, you, you mentioned judges. Well, you know, there was no way, there's no way of knowing what, uh, what John, you know, when Ted, Ted Cruz tries to say, that if he were president, he wouldn't appoint John Roberts when he supported John Roberts' nomination to, no, the Supreme, to the chief justice of the Supreme Court. W- where are we? Like, that's demented. You can't say one thing and have yes. written another seven I will build years a cr- earlier. If, if president, I will build a crude time machine and therefore I will teleport <laughs> myself. Yeah, OK. That's fine. But don't you think part of it – I mean I, I sort of agree a little bit with – uh, Jonah and I also kind of feel like there's a there's a uh, yeah I hate to do this this is sort of a drama story problem here and 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 the reality is that there have been zero wins for the Republicans they they've, they've been playing this sort of defensive game they've given the team and the side the people on the, in the stands nothing to cheer for and if you do that you do that consistently. Um, that the, the team, the, the, the people stop coming. They stop. They stop showing up at the in the stadium, yeah, and they start to wonder why. They, wait, well, well, wait a minute. Right. Just little things. Little little wins would be good. Why do we have the export import bank? Little things like that. Even 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 being making the president cross would be useful. I mean, I'm old enough to remember George Mitchell. And how George Mitchell made life for George H. W. Bush difficult. I mean, there's there is no there's no appetite for these Republicans to make the president's life difficult. There's only appetite to sort of play possum. And I think that if you want people in this on the side, you want people in the stands cheering for you. You've got to have a few plays on the field, even if you're going to lose, even if they know you're going to lose, where you look like you've got some fighting spirit. And they are demoralized, and they don't know why they're demoralized. They're demoralized, even though. They look at their hand and think, well, wait a minute. We got the House and the Senate. We got something there, right? Why are and, – and, and every time you do that, it gives um, 
it, it gives oxygen to sort of the grandstanding senators who may want to like uh, do something pointless and loud and noisy, um, and and then and then all it does is reinforce your natural conservative instincts to do nothing. And I think that like, if, if you want people to be cheering for you, you've got to give them something to cheer for. Now well, the, the other side of that, wait, wait, the other side of that yeah. is that there's this histrionic, dramatic kind of weird, uh, I think. Um, Creepy tendency in the culture at large, not just from the the, the 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 Trump supporters, but also from everybody else on CNN, and Fox News, to see everything in terms of story and see everything in terms of the, the sort of this movie narrative where the, in the third act the president gives a big speech or the politician gives a big speech and everybody turns around and so there's a whole bunch of uh, of people right. out there who see in Donald Trump and see in all their whoever their candidate is this kind of galvanizing force where he's going to tweet. Something and it's gonna, you know, if I tweet enough, you're gonna change your mind. And everybody's kind of like believes in this, this weird attitude, and nobody really believes in the sort of the grubby kind of LBJ version of the presidency, which every, which you and I know is the, the way it works. Right. I mean, the, the 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 great failure of this president and this presidency is that. He never read a book about the presidency and never understood. I mean, this guy could be on the ten dollar bill. If he had only read a history of LBJ and realized – Or changed his gender. Yeah, it's true. Right. right, Okay. (laughs) It was a $20 bill, right? I mean like like he he won two massive popular victories. Um, Yeah. And had he he just done it right, he wouldn't be such a polarizing figure. Uh, Well, but I mean you know this is part of the problem here is – why was George, why did George Mitchell make George George H W Bush's life so miserable? Because George H W Bush, and I think this was true of George W Bush as well, did not and did not decide, you know, in the third year of his presidency, faced with a hostile Congress, that he was going to unilaterally abrogate, ter- you know, constitutional, you know, boundaries in order to get his way. Right. So we have we have. And, and you then force on Republicans only massive nuclear sort of retaliation if, you know, when, when Barack Obama decides that the treaty that he signed with Iran is not a treaty and he will simply deem it to exist, you then have this question, what do Republicans do? Do they try to make sure that the Senate and the Congress wow. have some okay. sort of say? Or do they simply say, if you try to do this... We will we will shut the government down, and the problem is shutting the government down over silly over over foolish things in twenty you know twenty eleven and twenty thirteen has made the possibility of shutting the government down over something genuinely substantive and mm-hmm. incredibly important almost impossible. Okay, but what That's I mean what is. You show if you if you, you if you want people to cheer for you and to be on your side, you got to give them a little bit of something. You can't give them nothing, and these guys have given us nothing. And so I kind of understand why there's this. Yeah, and, and and if you've been in American politics long enough, and certainly if you've been in American politics in Washington long enough, you know that the way you get to the White House, you know that you run against Washington. That's what you do. Right. So you already know that the that the the the, 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 the your the Republican primary voters are sixty percent against you. That's what that, that's what they are. Right. The successful Republican presidential candidates run against Washington. Same thing with Democrats. So right. So give, these, give so these governors, so these governors who get millions of votes in states, right? Jindal in Louisiana, Perry in Texas, 
Walker in Wisconsin, Christie in New Jersey, they get yeah. nowhere. They're getting nowhere. So the problem there, as I said, as we began this, was right. that somehow it's become the case that any elected official is deemed, you know, massively, you know, is deemed compromised. Well, but that's it's okay. But they're not deemed. They, they could. I, it's their job to define themselves. That's right. Right. They, they just got to work a little harder. And I got to tell you one thing. I want whatever. I want some of that daiquiri. Who's ever making daiquiris? I want that. It's a weird sound we got going on in the background. But you know what? Oh, I'm not sorry. I'm problem? sitting outside. I'm sitting outside, and there's a leaf blower out there. I, I apologize. No, no, no. You know what's, you know what's not weird? What's not weird? <laughs> no, and that is really good. Our Casper mattresses. Casper mattresses, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. The mattress industry has inherently forced us consumers into paying notoriously high markups. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry, Rob, by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms. Sure. Passing that savings directly to the consumer. Its mattress provides resilience, long-lasting supportive comfort. Its mattress is one of a kind, a new hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500. Casper's cost between $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for a twin-XL, $750 for a full-size, $850 for a queen-size, $950 for a king-size mattress. Because Casper understands buying a mattress online can have consumers wondering how this is possible. So how is it possible? It's completely risk-free. They offer free delivery, returns within 100-day period. That is, not only is that three three months and, and 10 days, but it's like three, four times the amount of time that the Iranians get to, you know, Good to block inspectors. Nice it's that math. simple. Statistically, lying in a bed for four minutes in a showroom has no correlation to whether it's the right bed for you. So Casper turns the buying process into a risky experience. You get the bed in your house, try out, see if you like it. You spend your third of your life on a mattress. If you don't like it, you can send it back, Right. Obsessively engineered mattress, shockingly fair price, just the right sink, just the right bounce, latex foam, memory foam, together, better nights, brighter days, risk-free trial, return policy, mattresses made in America, 500 for a twin size, 950 for a king size. Compare that to industry averages. That's an outstanding price point, okay? So here's what's important, okay? If get $50 toward any mattress by visiting www.casper.com that's C-A-S-P-E-R slash glop G-L-O-P use that promo code very important because you get a $50 off we thank Casper Mattresses for sponsoring glop culture now gentlemen we've spent 40 minutes on Donald Trump we've spent 20 minutes on the Emmys there there you go so uh, I know, we spent a while on the Jews. I just want to get that Jews, out there. And the Jews, we did some stuff on the Jews and some stuff on Verizon. So I don't, I, I don't want to wow. sound like Ann Coulter criticizing the debates, but there was a lot of Jew talk. There was a lot of Jew talk, yeah. And, I mean, really, uh, you know, there's only only 33% of this. Well, I would say, where are we? We're at about 49% of this podcast is Jewish. There you go. Right? And the other 30%. Is in show business. Right. So, <laughs> so, you know, uh, what I think we should close out with, I think, the most important question of here, which is what would your Secret Service code name be? Because I think when Jake Tapper asked that question, he hmm. really elevated the debate of 2015 to a new level. Your Secret Service code name. 
what would you want the Secret Service to call you? So, Joan, I have an idea, but Jonah, perhaps you've given this some thought and can share with us your thought on what your code name should be. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I joked on Twitter that I wanted my uh, code name to be Winter. And that way, all the agents, whenever I started to arrive, would have to say Winter is coming, <laughs> as in like a Game of Thrones kind of thing. And I have since then been asked like five times to come up with a different Secret Service code name, and I keep forgetting to think about it. So I'm going to stick with that, and I'll think about it a little more. I mean, like, hmm. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't have anything good. Well, um, <laughs> keeping with the keeping with the with the Jew theme, uh, I said on Twitter that my Secret Service code would be tefillin, um, tefillin? or perhaps phylactery, uh, which is a which is a uh, a leather a leather box that you must wear daily on your forehead or on your arm. Wait, so a leather can, what? I'm not, you know what? Look it up. I'm not going to. P A C T E R Y. A leather box? Not just Orthodox Jews. Conservative Jews use tefillin also. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to go a, with it. It's a leather box? It's a leather box that contains the important commandments of the Jewish faith that you are supposed to wear between your eyes and on your arm and have, put on your door. That's what a mezuzah is. If you've ever heard of that, it's a little box on people's oh, I'm not going to go into any more of it, but I've decided that Dylan is a bad Secret Service code name. Yeah. It's a bad one. Okay? So I'm going to go with Yarmulke. Okay? That's, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm going now. Okay? So it would be like, you know, Yarmulke is – he's taking off the Yarmulke. Yeah. Okay. Yarmulke wheels, wheels up. That's right. And Rob, do you have one? Yamaka's going to the men's room. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yamaka's in the men's room. Yamaka's in the men's room. Right. Uh, so we have two hours. Um, <laughs> um, I, I Yamaka brought a newspaper into the men's room. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was the Jerusalem Daily Post. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I was, try- I was trying to think of that my, myself. I think it would be, you know. Probably something like uh, my shame is wearing off, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, here I was apologetic about sucking it, yeah. but hey, go on. Yeah, okay, we can't end. We honestly, we can't. We can't. Uh, we can't end on this. Mine would be something like Rhino. You know, I would. I would want to go. Rhino. For I think that's really you know? good. Rhino. Well, I Rhino think Jonas, Swish, You know, maybe maybe Jonah should be conservative. Uh, yeah. We're not going to get into that, but yeah. I think it, it, it helps if you if if you put a number at the end of it, yeah. right? So it'd be like I could be pantsless, or like no pants, right? But it have to be like yeah. pantsless one, pantsless one, or you know, pantsless one down one, right? Because it's yeah. like showing the primacy of the kind of thing, and I, I just it, it helps, I think, a little bit. So. Rhino one in Rhino one on the move. Well, you know, I think both in tribute to this podcast. And and in tribute to the uh, famous children's game, Candyland, perhaps someone's Secret Service name should be Gloppy. Because oh, if yeah. you played Candyland, you may remember that there is a character on the board called Gloppy. And this is, of course, Glop culture. I myself would would uh, I would not wish to be called Gloppy. But you know, I don't know. Maybe Rob could take one for the team as the one of the proprietors of Ricochet. He could. Uh, yeah, I'd be, I, that's what I, I'd be. I'd be. I'd be uh, Ricochet one, you know, or <laughs> or founder two, you know, uh, which actually 
which is a great segue. So I should mention, since you mentioned it, if you're, which I didn't do at the top of the top of the podcast, if you're listening to this and and you're a member of Ricochet, we're pleased to have you as a fellow member. But if you're listening to this and you're not a member of Ricochet, you should know the Glob Podcast is brought to you by Ricochet.com. Please go to Ricochet.com. Check us out. We are the fastest growing, most civil place on the web for center-right conversation between and among our members and contributors. When I say civil, we do enforce a civil code. There's none of that filth you see on Twitter, uh, despite being verified, as my two uh, colleagues are on this podcast. None of this filth you see in the uh, comments section of all sorts of uh, websites. Uh, we have good conversations with uh, decent people who uh, uh, are polite. Even if they disagree, they're polite, because you can disagree and be polite. So please go to richshade.com, check us out. A lot of other podcasts, too. Uh, sign up for those. Uh, sign up for The Daily Shot, which is a daily email blast. It comes in your, in, uh, your inbox in the morning and gives you the tip sheet on the news of the day to beat and in, into senseless uh, and a total <laughs> abject um, uh, uh, I guess uh, whatever, abject um, um, uh, defenselessness, any liberal you tend to meet um, and um, sign it up. So ricochet.com, please go um, and um, we need more members just to keep paying for this. Right. Okay. So um, just to just to end on a high note, I really do. Uh, I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, and if it's still around and in theaters, you must go see the gift, the debut film of the actor Joel Edgerton, who wrote and directed it with Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. It is the best thriller made in Hollywood in twenty five years, and uh, and uh, it is though it is not you know a, a great sold, large, spirited film, it's almost a perfect piece of filmmaking. So that is my key recommendation. If anybody else has anything to let people, you know, leave on a high note, a good book, uh, you know, a nice TV show, a thing. A reliable cable company. A reliable cable company, uh, whatever, please share. Rob, nothing? You got nothing. No, I listen. I mean, I um, I, I know that M Night Shyamalan, whatever oh, I can't remember pronounce the last name. He has a, a thriller out. It's interesting. Apparently, it's very good, uh, and it's an interesting story because he's made a bunch of stinko movies, uh, and this one he sort of went back to his roots and made a five million dollar picture. So I, I wish him well on that. Um, I am still excited about the uh, the opening the the new season of Silicon Valley, which apparently is there now shooting, which I'm excited about. Um, um and I'm. Don't know when that's going to come out, but I'm eager for that. Uh, in the culture, I can't say I'm enjoying anything right now because nothing's really premiered. Um, none of the new shows have really premiered. Uh, although I, I'm not sure I hear anything terrific about any of them, so I, I can't give you any recommendations about any of the new shows um, that are about to launch. I am told that a show that started on FXX called "You're the Worst," which um, was not a great show. It, it, but it is a good Secret Service code name. It, it is. is true. But it was not a great show. Uh, had a, uh, I saw three episodes which were really, truly awful. Uh, I am told that it's gotten really good. Or, And that's some, sort of an interesting trajectory story we can talk about later. How, how and why a show that is no good, instead of getting yanked, gets fixed. Right. I, I, I myself have never experienced that level of forbearance. <laughs> that's, that's the science I, story, Can I, right? can I yeah. share with you my, my quick theory about TV? My quick theory about TV is this, that um, it's almost the reverse between dramas and comedies. That is to say that dra- when dramas work, when a drama show works, it works from its first episode. It has a, 
it has a bang on pilot and it goes from there. They know what the show is. They know what they're doing. They know where they're going for the most part. Comedies are all, all, are many times the reverse. It takes two or three seasons for them to figure out how what their where their greatness lies. It's sort of like Seinfeld, yeah. which really only took off in its third season. Cheers, I think, only really took off in its third season. Well, and- isn't that when Rob Long left? <laughs> no, I didn't show up till the seventh. Well, maybe, but 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 there's, there's taking off and there's quality, and then there's the audience. I mean, the Cheers, uh, Cheers was the same show in its third season, wasn't the first season. It just didn't have an audience. Um, I, I, I mean, just think creatively, they figured out that yeah. Sam wasn't the sort of mild Mary Tyler Moore type. It was just as crazy as everybody else was. That was the key to Cheers. Really, I think surviving for eleven seasons was the was was making was ending huh. the notion that Sam Malone was like the guy you identified with and making him just another person who was just completely nuts like everybody else at the bar. That, that's my See, John, that's this my, is, John, this is a great idea. When we're trying to get out, you bring up your core theory about the essence of tears <laughs> to Bob Long. <laughs> hey, okay. Robert, well, Scott, well, like, John, do you have any quick thoughts about what the essence of the left-wing nature of fascism Rattle off in thirty seconds for me. I do actually, John. I think it's the concept of vigor. I think that. Yeah. Uh, that's, well, I think, it, it, Jonah, it's not like you have vigor. anywhere to go for the I, next. Somewhere with you, John. Vigor. It's, it's, it's not like you have anywhere to go for the next four hours. I'll tell you, <laughs> all would be forgiven if my cable guy had his as his name badge just said Godot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're cheap. All yeah, right, so, so uh, anybody have anything to promote? Jonah, you're going to be anywhere where anyone will hear you. Uh, next month in mid-October, you can look it up by going to the Fund for American Studies. I will be a speaker at their big leadership conference at the Broadmoor Hotel. Very nice. You can go down the big water slide that scared my wife to death at the Dark Ages weekend a week before 9-11 in 2001. Rob, you have anything? I can't compete with getting scared to death that week. Uh, no, I, 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 I literally zero. Rob will be pitching a sitcom tomorrow, yeah. so yeah. that's uh, you know. No, no, you, it's a it's a one hour, my friend. A one, he'll be pitching a one hour. So if you yeah. if you you know if you want to show show up in Culver City, you can uh, maybe stand by the gate while he yeah. does it inside. No drive-ons uh, allowed. On October fifteenth, I will actually I actually have something to t- talk about. On October fifteenth, I will be appearing in Cleveland on a panel at the Jewish Policy Center. You can look it up at JewishPolicyCenter.org and find out how to go go hear me and Michael Medved and Cliff May talking about you know the horrors of Obama's foreign policy. So, uh, and of course, I will be at uh, at Giggles uh, in West Nyack, New York. Uh, I, will- I like that. You know what? I like that you still do that. You still do the Giggles gigs and the Chuckle Hut gigs, even though you're verified now. I, I, you. think, <laughs> I think you know what? I think it's very important to keep the, keep my touch. Yeah. Keep yeah. myself in contact. You're not too big for that shit. No, I'm no. really, I'm really, I'm really not. Oh damn! I have to stop that. I, I now I've, I've cursed twice here, and I. It's true. I feel and bad. You said you don't do that on Ricochet. I know. Yeah. I, I know. I apologize. I apologize. It's uh, okay. All right, guys. So, I gotta go. You gotta we all go. Have to go. So it's been a pleasure. And Jonah, please, please, please. Do not kill the cable guy. Yeah, do not kill the cable guy, Jonah. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Uh, and uh, and uh, <laughs> no uh, promises. Please, please yeah. wish, gentlemen, wish me an easy fast. Say, have yeah. an easy fast. 
we wish you have a an sweet, easy fast. Have Thank an easy you fast, very much, and, and, a, and wish you, we wish you a sweet life. Is that what you say? Sweet, sweet life. year, sweet, sweet year. year. And may you be inscribed for a good year. May you be inscribed. May, in, all, in a, may you all in the Ricochet audience be yeah. inscribed for a good year. So thank you, and we'll talk to you again. So tired, tired of waiting, tired of waiting for you. So tired, tired of waiting, tired of waiting for you. I was a lonely soul. I had nobody till I met you. Join the conversation. But you keep me waiting all of the time. What can I do? It's your life, and you can do what you want. Do what you like. Certainly hope you'll die soon.